Welcome to Archetypes and Anarchy, a podcast created by me, Courtney Floyd, and my Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon in spring of 2018. Episode 13, Rethinking the Little Mermaid. Hi, I'm Tate. And I'm Kylie. And I'm Ashley. We are the Fairy Tellers. In today's episode of our podcast, we're going to be discussing um, anarchy and modern retellings of fairy tales. In specific, we're going to be looking at the Little Mermaid. So we're just going to be looking about how a couple retellings of the Little Mermaid um, challenged previous archetypes in the original version by Hans Christian Andersen. All right, let's just jump in. Let's start with talking about the original Little Mermaid, which we read in class last week together. Um, The original one is by Hans Christian Andersen. Yes. Okay. So at the beginning of the fairy tale, um, we learn that the mermaid has five sisters, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so she's the youngest. And when her, their grandmother made a rule that when they turn 15, they're allowed to go up to the surface of the water and explore. Which, just to say, just add into that, 15 is very significant age because it's, like, showing, like, that's, like, the time when, like, a young woman turns into an adult and it's kind of just, like, really symbolic of, like, a, like the maturation process and kind of, like, the, like a coming of age type of thing. 15 was cool for me because I got to, I got my permit and that was, yeah, like, exactly. a very it's exciting kind of like a time big in my age, life. Right. So, yeah, when she becomes 15, she's very excited because all of her other sisters have gone up to the surface and she can't wait and she said before she went up her grandma decorated this is from the fairy tale said a wreath of white lilies in her hair and every flower leaf was a half a pearl then the old lady ordered eight great oysters to attach themselves to the tail of the princess to show her high rank so she didn't like that she didn't like it but it shows the high rank and like another group did little red riding hood and the red was a symbol of high rank as well. So there's a little connection Connection. But I think her being the youngest didn't help for her wanting to go, like, go to the surface because her sisters came back and told her every story and everything they saw, and all five of them. So it was, like, five different experiences, and she was just, like, jealous. It was, like, unfair to her that she'd wait. Yeah, but once once she went up there, she saw the prince, who she thought was cute and wanted to go back... I didn't find him, but the problem was that humans can die, mermaids can't. So the little mermaid they was can die. They're three hundred well, three hundred years. Yeah. The <laughs> little mermaid wanted to become human. Um basically to give up everything she and, is for yeah. this man. Which yeah. Is, but she didn't even know him. So Yeah. Right. Um, that also I feel like that also says something about like what they're or saying. What they're yeah. saying about girls is like I yeah. they'd give up anything for a guy that's attractive or a guy that's yeah you think is higher than you or Like an innocent girl who has her whole life in front of her is willing just, to, like, just throw it all away for a guy who yeah. she thinks is attractive, which is, like, a big statement on um, Hans Christian Andersen's part about women. Mm-hmm. And this is also interesting because historically mermaids are more of a, a dangerous symbol. They want to go on land and then lure the fishermen in the water and kill them, which is not the case here. She wants... To marry him and help him and like you know, be in love with him. Thinking about it now, it's actually very interesting because I think you know there's some um, 
theories that say that this story is about how Hans Christian Andersen was trying, it was like his conflict with being gay and like, um, just like the struggle in like his life with it. And I think it's interesting because it's like, he has girls who are very, um, vulnerable and like just easily willing to give up their life for a guy. And then, but it's also a woman, a mermaid who is like historically known as being a very powerful creature. So it's interesting that he's making such a powerful creature be so susceptible basically to the male like influence while at the same time making the lead male character kind of like he didn't really even like have a main part or anything he was just kind of there you know like so it's very interesting but I think I honestly think the dad had a more of a male part than the prince yeah so that was kind of we just wanted to do the original Little Mermaid first now we're going to move into some other versions um so I guess I'll start with this one I wanted to analyze the Little Mermaid movie, the most recent one, released in 2017. Um, and it's interesting because it's based on the Hans Christian Andersen version rather than the Disney version, which according to the Global News, California made a lot of people upset. But, so, this summary is from Global News, California. I'm just going to read it really quick. Um, so the story starts with an old grandmother telling her granddaughters the story of the Little Mermaid. Despite their young age, the girls don't believe in the story until their grandmother tells them a tale of her own. Years ago, a young reporter named Cam Harrison, who had failed to earn a living, sets out in search of a good story accompanied by his younger sister, Elle. They go to a circus and encounter a mermaid trapped in a tank. They are further amazed when the mermaid appears before them as a young woman with legs. The duo soon learn a prophecy about a little girl born on land, blessed with the heart of a mermaid. With this ancient prophecy come to life, they are further entangled in a sinister plot of a wizard who wishes to keep the soul of the little mermaid and convert it to power. So that's the summary. It's kind of interesting because they leave a lot of characters out um, from the Disney version, which people were kind of mad at. But it does keep a lot of the same archetypes, like the hero of the Little Mermaid, the kind of star-crossed lovers thing of the prince and the Little Mermaid. Um, do you guys have anything to add about the the 2017 the version? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I just bought it, actually. Well, that's just kind of a quick summary. But I guess kinda, we'll... if none of us have seen it, and we kind of like grew up with Little Mermaid, the... Yeah. The I know the Disney 1989 oh, yeah. one. I think kind of shows like it's probably not that good if none of us have seen it. And I yeah, I didn't even yeah. know there was a new one out. Yeah, I think so a lot of people were something. upset about it because it was really different. Right. Um. But kind of, do you want to talk about the that? Yeah. Um. Basically, when I was reading the original, um, the Hans original, yeah. I was, I kept, like, imagining the movie, the Disney movie in my head over and over. I was like, wait, this happened in, in the readings. Oh, this happened in the movie. And I was just going over and over, and then there's times where I was like, wait, no? Like, I don't think so. But, um, the summary of the one I read, it was the, the 1989 movie, was, she was 16 years old in the movie. So that's a different from, from the readings. But basically, it just summarizes that she was rebellious and fascinated with life on land. And in one of her visits to the surface, which are forbidden by her controlling father, King Triton, she falls for a human prince, determined to be sorry, determined to be with her new love. Ariel makes a dangerous deal with the sea witch, Ursula, to become human for three days. But when plans go 
away for the star-crossed lovers, the king must make the ultimate sacrifice for his daughter. So basically, I think near the end it said the dad made the sacrifice. I think that is huge because, like, I feel like that's really relatable and I think my dad would do that for me. And, um... Well, it's interesting that that summer brings up the star-crossed lovers thing mm-hmm. because that was a huge archetype amongst all of the um, but she also versions of the fairy tale. That helped her in the movie when she got her yeah, voice taken. That's also the that friendly beasts archetype thing where the animals help the mermaid get the prince and then the star-crossed lovers because one's human and one's hybrid, so they're... Yeah. Love is destined to be tragic. I also think it's interesting to look at how but in the, the Hans Christian it. Andersen version, compared to the Disney version, the role of the witch, the sea witch, changed from kind of like, in the Hans Christian Andersen version at least, she was kind of looking out for the Little Mermaid in a way that she was making like her give up her voice seem like you shouldn't be doing this. Like, like think about this. Like, decision. yeah, exactly. But this her is sisters a big deal. also had to shake their heads or give up. Yeah, right. Their hair. Right, but it just her. makes it. It's interesting that the sea witch in the Hans Christian Andersen version was almost trying to help Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. whereas in the Disney version she, she was, was just the antagonist, yeah. like evil yeah, witch for sure. Um, Ash, do you want to talk about? Yeah. So my, I kind of looked into going away from like the Little Mermaid story itself. I was looking at another mermaid story. Um, and back in our, I think it was like elementary school, 2006, Aquamarine, yeah. it was a popular movie. movie ever. Yeah, very popular <laughs> movie amongst like teenage girls came out. And it's basically a story about these two best friends find a mermaid. And the mermaid has like three days to fall in love. And then if she doesn't fall in love, then the two girls don't get a wish from her. And it's her a very, dad, I think yeah. her dad comes and gets her or something. Yeah, it's a very like basic plot line. But. It was very interesting to look at um, some of the classic archetypes compared to this story. Um, like a classic archetype that you see throughout all of literature is um, kind of the girls playing like a ditzy role. Like if yeah, you notice like, in a lot, yeah. Like if you notice in a lot of exactly. Like if you notice in a lot of these stories, the Little Mermaid is like obsessed with beauty and like she's this really beautiful girl, but it never talks about her intelligence. Never talks about like really much more than just her beauty. Um, and it was very funny because in this movie, the Aquamarine, she's kind of a ditz, like, yeah, not, absolutely you know, yeah, like, kind of useless, blonde, <laughs> but b- beautiful. And, um, she Arch. needed these two human girls to help her with everything. Like, she didn't even know how to use, like, a salt shake. Like, it was, no, like... It, it, she, but she knew a lot about, like, beauty and fashion. Yeah, exactly. Like, this girl gave her, like, a t-shirt and she wore, right. like, five different ways. Yeah, so like, it's a very stereotypical girl, basically. And so I thought that was very interesting to see that they kind of, like, and they kind of took away all the power, like, in the old versions of, like, literature, when it talks about mermaids, mermaids are a very powerful creature, but it kind of took away all of her power in this, like, and she, she I didn't mean, she really have, re- rebellious, she, yeah, she, she, she kind of, like, felt, but she did, yeah. she did fall in love with a guy, and she needed to fall in yeah. love with him, so it was very similar to both it was the stories and the because movies. she didn't. Actually, though, interesting, though, because w- one of the main archetypes of many literature is, like, you know, you fall in love with the guy, right? Yeah. But in this story, it's actually the, ended up being, okay, like, she it. had to find true love within three days, but her love ended up being her love with her friends. So it was very interesting that they challenge, like, the classic, like, male-female relationship by, like, a friendship more. Like, it was like, oh, like, she didn't find love w- with this guy. The love that she found was with her friends. And, like, that's what ended up, like... Saving her in the but, end. Yeah. So it's very interesting that it, like, they twisted it up on us like in that. In this movie, it was 
it was different because I think it was around like middle school. These girls must have been in like mm-hmm. middle of high school or something, yeah. kind of young. And the two friends were moving apart. Yeah. And they were like best, best, best friends. They were supposed to be together forever. And then she comes and kind of like rekindles. Yeah. Right. Their friendship right. in a way. Yeah, and it was, it's just very interesting to see that they kept the stereotypical girl while taking away the power of a mermaid, but then switched it up at the end with the, like, it's not all about the guy. It's more about your friendships and your relationships with the people around you. So well, that is interesting because I think that shows, you know, that's kind of a sign of the times. Right. Like society definitely. itself is moving. Moving more towards a... Towards, we, like, girls in well, itself girls are moving more towards a, we can do this yeah, on our yeah, own type Yeah, of thing. girls aren't depending on men, and it's right. not as much of a coming of age. And this was in 2006, and if we I look at... Yeah, this is in 2006, and if we look at where we are today in the world, there's a lot, like, there's so many women's rights movements and all that stuff that, like, just shows how, like, much women have, like, realized, we come to this realization that, like, you don't need a man. Yeah. Yeah. But when we were younger, I think this was a well-liked movie because it was, like, in a way relatable, not as much as there was a mermaid in it, but, like, the whole high school drama, like, there was bullies, there was... Mean girls. There was like parties. I think it was more relatable, and then Lately. the mermaid, and then probably like the original Little Mermaid was more relatable to like our moms, yeah, who had to wait till they could go on a date until they're fifteen or something like that. Yeah, or like the drive the car. Yeah, we couldn't drive ourselves anywhere until. Yeah, so age. I just say like you know overall it's interesting that. Mermaids are obviously a symbol of strong femininity, yeah. but it changes over time yeah. of how they, like, attain that right. almost. And I think it's, inter- it's you know, definitely worthy to point out, like, the original version by Hans Christian Andersen was, I believe, a lot about how he was struggling with the fact that he was homosexual and, like, how he yeah. just felt like he mm-hmm. didn't fit into this that world. And it's... If you look at, if you really then, analyze the story, there's a lot of instances where it shows, like, like how whenever the Little Mermaid walk, it was, like, painful, and so it's kind of, like, trying to fit into this world that doesn't really work with you, and, like, trying to, like, conform, and I think it's definitely noteworthy to know that, like, a lot of these stories that we are telling are still have that same theme, like... Yeah, that they're, like, the writers right, trying like, to, like... Like, for example, in Aquamarine, it's, like, the, these girls are trying to be cool and popular, and they just, like... They're trying to be people that they aren't. I just, yeah. It's interesting that, I think that's the cool part about literature, especially fairy tales, is you can change them over right. time to reflect what's going on. And you can change the message on. behind them. Yeah, the, in today's yeah. culture, to make them fit to the time, or else they yeah. wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't work. Um, so we talked about the archetypes, the hero, the friendly beast, star-crossed lovers. Talked about all that. The rebellious. Yeah. Kind of a coming-of-age story. Yeah. So... Overall, there's definitely a lot of similarities between all the versions, but like we talked about, they change with time. Yeah. I'd say the 2017 version is not a fan favorite. I think, uh, honestly, if I had to pick now, I'd still say the Disney version from 1989. Yeah, just because it's more realistic. fan favorite. The 20, I'll have to watch the 2017 one for sure. I'll let And then, you know, just the original focuses on becoming of age, where... The modern ones, they do focus on coming of age, but especially with ones like Aquamarine, it's more about finding yourself, finding your friends, yeah. falling and in love, fun. because really you're not going to fall in love at 15. Right? Like, and that, I mean, right. even for The Little Mermaid, that was kind of a stretch. Like, yeah. really? She's she's going to get married to, first of all, 
a prince at 15. Yeah. Yeah. That's so unrealistic. And that being said, I think it's also, I'm reading this um, uh, synopsis of Aquamarine right now by um, IMDb. Um, And it's interesting because they say right here, Eventually, it is not Raymond, the main lead character, that convinces Aquamarine that humans can love, but Claire and Haley, who are willing to give up their wish and their lives in the aiding of a friend. So it's, like, interesting that they show that... Love that movie. Yeah, it's such a good movie. But it's just interesting that they, like, show that, like, it's... Becoming a woman doesn't necessarily mean Mean you need a man. man. It means you find yourself and you find But growing up, I think that was the... That was the standard. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like... But now, for me at least, and I'm sure it is for you, that right. my friends are way more important than a guy. Right, of course. And I think it's, like, I can, I can at least speaking for myself, say that, like, I always, when I was younger, thought of me being an adult was me getting married. But, like, now necessi- now I see it as me being an adult is me getting a job and me yeah. like moving car, into my own place by myself oh, yeah. or, like, you know, like, being financially stable. So it's, like, from college. I think it's interesting that, like, as you grow older, your meaning of being an adult changes. Yeah, and overall, mermaids are such a strong symbol of femininity right. and strength. You know, they're used in so many advertisements today. Right. Starbucks is, right. uses the mermaid. Oh, yeah. Like, it's still, the mermaid. they still really right. have, it's, it's influential. a lot, right. yeah, stayed a lot yeah. the same over the past hundred years. Okay, so now we're just going to go into a little bit of our um, individual analysis on different um, mermaids seen in pop culture today or, like, other types of uh, mermaids or anything that we think are symbolic and necessary to be talked about. Um, so personally, I'm going to go into the mermaids that are seen in the Disney movie Peter Pan. Um, if you remember, Peter took Wendy to Neverland and got her to meet these like mermaids. And um, they, they were like in love with Peter, so they didn't like her. And yeah, so one thing that I think was very... Um, I'm looking at a mermaids thing about from Peter Pan on um, Disney Wikipedia. Um, and it says, like, one of the first things about the personality, the mermaids appear to be lazy, vain, shallow, and undeniably mischievous in nature. So I think that's definitely something that needs to be talked about because, once again, we see that these mermaids are vain and seem to only care about their, um, their looks and their um, physical features. Um... It says they are fun, also fun-loving and rather amoral, having no sense between right and wrong. So it's definitely interesting because, once again, I think that the power to the mermaids is kind of restored a little bit in the sense that they are amoral. Like, they kind of can just do whatever they want. They mess with Wendy a bunch and, like, don't really care. They don't have any cares or troubles besides, like, the, their fear of Captain Hook. But, like, other than that, like, they kind of, they kind of just are, like, these powerful women, like, better than any other woman but then of course once again when a man comes to the picture like captain hook or peter pan they're either scared or like completely infatuated with him which i think says a lot about um the way that women and specifically mermaids so beautiful women are seen in society um yeah and like similar to like if you remember tinkerbell and peter pan they're jealous when another female is around peter so wendy um, and they don't, and, like, Wendy's, of course, a beautiful girl, so, like, that just, like, made things much worse for her, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, like, 
I think if we, talking more about like just what happened during the time when Wendy met the mermaids, um, she was super excited to meet them. Really like heard a lot of things about them. Really enchanted by their beauty. Um, always dreamed about seeing them, and then was watching them from a safe distance. And then they seem to like they start like playing with her almost like yeah, yeah. they start like messing with her hair and stuff. And right. like. But, like, it starts off with them, like, Wendy just watching them, and they're just looking at their reflections. Like, literally all they're doing is, like, looking at themselves in the reflection of the water, which is, like, so shallow. Like, it's, like, just so ridiculous that, like, once again, these mermaids are seen as super vain. Um, and, like, they, it, like, says, like, they seem to enjoy decorating their hair with random ornaments and adorning themselves with items. So, like, it's such a, like, materialistic, shallow point of view. Um, and then... So then the mermaids end up seeing Peter, and they're super excited. They're like, oh my gosh, Peter Pan's here. We love him. He's really cute, all that stuff. And then they see that Wendy's there, and they, like, really mess with her. Like, they try to get Wendy to swim with them, but then they pull her into the water. Like, it's just, like, really mean girl stuff. So, like, I think it's, like, very interesting to see that, like, Whereas in the Aquamarine story and, like, the Little Mermaid story, the mermaids are seen as very nice and, like, good, innocent girls. Whereas in this story, the Peter Pan story, they're, like, the mean girls who, like, mess with the nice, innocent girl and, like, kind of, like, make her feel, like, bad about herself and make her feel like she doesn't deserve to be with Peter Pan and all this stuff. So, yeah. And, like, oh, it's interesting also because Peter stops, it says in this, um, Summary, Peter stops her in time, telling her that they were only having fun, to which one mermaid casually replies that they were, quote, only trying to drown her. Like, what? Like, <laughs> like it's just like, whoa, like, they're only trying to take her life. Like, it's like they're seeing these Casual. very, yeah, exactly, like, these very, like, mean girls. And, like, I think that's also very um, telling of, like, it's another typical coming-of-age story because... Wendy, the main character, has to go through this adversity and, like, deal with all these people not liking her, and then comes out in the end strong or whatever. Like, she ends up with Peter or whatever ends up happening. Um, So I just think it's very interesting because, like, while these mermaids in this sense are still seen as, like, these really mean girls, it still follows the same um, archetypes of, like, maturation and coming of age and, like, all this, like, the powerfulness of a mermaid while also being, like, vain and, like, all the classic stuff that we saw in the Hans Christian Andersen version of the story. And then now I think I'm going to pass the mic over to Kylie for yeah. her individual. So I just wanted to go back to the Little Mermaid, the 1989 one, because I thought of more archetypes. And we didn't talk about, like, the battle between good versus evil, which was the battle between Ariel and Ursula. And throughout the movie, like, Ariel's so, like, good-hearted and wants nothing but the best for, like, herself, and that, and Ursula just wants to take it all away from her and wreak havoc in her life, and it's just, there's, like, an archetype right there, which is the good and the evil, and it's kind of like the light versus the darkness. Ariel, again, represents the light because she's hopeful and caring and nice, and she's hopeful that the prince will, Prince Eric, to be exact, <laughs> will fall in love with her, and then she'll get her voice back, and she won't because Ursula is tricking Ariel into giving her her voice back so she could have more power, which is just where the darkness comes in, you know? Yeah. Which, again, 
the devil figure in this would be Ursula. And speaking of, like, the devil figure, the, what's the word, Sebastian, would he be? The, the, the dad, not the oh, old man, the oh, old wise man figure would be Sebastian because he's, like, trying to get her to follow the rules and he's he's trying to make her... He's like the old wise man that, like, yeah, like the, like one, tough, the moral like path. Like, the one to do right. Yeah. And he's, like, trying to guide her. Right. But she's not really... Following it. Following that. Which is, like, what teenage girls do to their parents. Right. Like, it's like, their parents are trying to lead you down the right path, but you are the one that wants to venture off. Right. So you've got to experiment, all get in trouble. Yeah. Especially with the whole being 15 kind of coming of age right, thing. Exactly. That's part of it. Finding your adulthood. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to say, Kylie? No, I just think, yeah, the main characters are, have, are really important archetypes. Yeah. That. There's I mean, tons of I archetypes in the, in the life. Just the, the path that they take, the journey that they take in each of these stories, it's, like, such a, like, clear sign of, like, becoming a woman. Yeah. And, like, they make it so relatable to, like, kids who are, like, their target audience. Like, it's just, like, so obvious. Like, you hit these, these, you, these kids that watch it are, like, the same age of, like, they're going exactly through the things that, like, right. they right. can relate to. So it's, like, a very, like... That's why I think that yeah. a lot of people didn't like the newest movie that they made is because it wasn't re- as relatable as the first right. Little Mermaid. Yeah, story. I agree. The last archetype I had was Flounder. I know we kind of talked about it, but I just wanted to reiterate that yeah. he does represent, like, the animal archetype because he is Ariel's best friend and is there for everything. And I think, yeah, yeah. that was the important part. Um, okay, so I, I will talk now, um, I just, (laughs) you're welcome, I think that the mermaid is so interesting that she's such a strong representation of femininity throughout so much of history, like, like the past few, like, centuries, essentially, and it's still going, and companies, huge companies use mermaids as advertisements so I know we mentioned Starbucks but I want to kind of dive deeper into that um so Starbucks's logo is a mermaid and it's changed from 1971 when they started using the mermaid to 2011 which was the most recent I guess you'd say redrawing of the mermaid yeah redesign yeah but it like that almost shows in the 1971 one the mermaid is really small and kind of behind the scenes, and then in the most recent one, she's coming, almost coming out of the logo to just show how strong women have become. And Starbucks says that um, that they took the, this, I'm getting this from an article on the Huffington Post about the Starbucks mermaid, um, and it was taken from Moby Dick, the, when, the siren came from the sea and coffee comes from across the ocean and Seattle, which is the headquarters of Starbucks is kind of a sea faring town and it seemed to fit well together, adding a mythical feel to it. Um, and I remember learning actually about the Starbucks siren in like fourth grade and it stuck mm-hmm. with me ever since because it's such an influential, uh, logo. And you see it every day. Yeah. And so, like I said, it started in 1971 and, um, the drawing was a twin tail in each hand, and the siren was drawn in brown and white with visible cleavage, a stomach, and a navel, and only the faintest hint of a smile on her face. And now it's evolved 
into a green and white with wavy hair, twin tails being out of either side. And it has um, the name of the coffee has been removed, removed from the logo because it's such an influential image that everybody knows it's Starbucks when they see it. Nobody's, nobody's confused. Um, I think it's interesting, actually, that we are talking about this right now because I never knew it was a mermaid. Really? Yeah, I never knew that. I never even thought about what it was. I just thought it was some girl with, like, a weird design around the edges. Like, so it's interesting. It kind of changes my perception of Starbucks, knowing that it's a mermaid. No, it's very interesting, because, like I said, I learned that in fourth grade, and it stuck with me ever since. And, like, I think most people, when they hear mermaid, they think of the little mermaid. And, honestly, for me, I think of Starbucks. I think that's why I said that, because all I thought was... You think of Starbucks? That's the first thing you think of. Of a mermaid? Yes. Really? Yes. I learned about that. That's what I'm saying. It's so influential wow. that Starbucks uses this. It's very... That's so interesting. Like, from a business perspective, very smart. It's a smart. good choice, yeah. So, the last thing I just wanted to bring up from this Starbucks conversation is Howard Schultz, who's the current CEO of Starbucks, said that when they updated the logo in 2011, the new interpretation of the logo is the exact same essence of the Starbucks experience. What he thinks they've done is allowed her to come out of the circle in a way that gives us the freedom and flexibility to think beyond coffee. And so now, you know, she's on gift cards. She's on coffee mugs. She's on every bag. Yeah. She's on there. So it just shows how strong of a symbol the mermaid is. And, like, everybody knows when they see a mermaid, they're like, wow, strong woman, right? Right, exactly. Power, yeah. strength, femininity. Everything. Which is interesting because, you know, there's been so many... Issues in this world where women feel as if they are at a loss of power. So it's interesting that mermaids can wrap up the symbols of femininity and power. Because, like, there's been, like, wars fought. Well, not wars fought. But, like, like an entire movement for decades about women in power. So it's, like, interesting that a mermaid can resemble all of that in one. Yeah. But it's interesting that Starbucks, Starbucks would give that. Yeah. Because they've been around for a long time that they're, they want this female mermaid to represent their company. And they've changed the logo to change the times. Like, the logo's now coming out of the circle, which is what women in our present time are doing. They're They're standing up for themselves. Yeah. So. Very interesting. I think, I think that's it for today. Yeah, so basically just wrapping it all up. So, mermaids resemble a lot of power, a lot of femininity, and it's interesting to see how in stories, uh, both modern and past like, past in the history, how they have altered kind of what they represent, like... To go with what... Right, exactly. So it's kind of, like, at one point, mermaids represent evil. At one point, they represent, like, innocence. So it's interesting to see how they... Yeah, exactly. How they can be altered. changing. Right. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Archetypes and Anarchy is produced by me, Courtney Floyd, and researched and written by my spring 2018 Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon. Our theme music is Music Box by The Underscore Orchestra, and our closing music is Wolf, It's Really Rather Rad by High Arches, both of which are available under a Creative Commons license at the Free Music Archive.
Hear the sound of the wolf that lives in the woods That comes to my back door from time to time Shake the hand of the sun that burns above Reaches down over everyone Got your Jekyll and Hyde, your monster inside Pouring water over your fire I incur us a soul, then I need to go Back into the woods, I'm told Not a single living thing needs to be left out You can find in the garden what's missing in yourself There's a spider web that connects heads Connected by the number nine Can you think in visions and breathe in rhythms Dream an ocean over your lips It brings a deeper meaning A powerful feeling Brings us the myths we're told And it's only clean water That supports the things that we're trying to grow Not a single living cell needs to be left out You can find in the garden what's missing in yourself Have you seen the way the speaker makes a pattern in the sand When the frequency is just right, oh man, it's really rather rare 